Everybody, how we doing? I'll get to this in a little bit, all right? So don't be afraid. It is a sword. It's not sharp. I've already checked it out. Hey, uh, thanks for being here today, whether this is your uh, first time here or you have been with us before here at The Journey. Um, and we're glad you're here in this place. We're glad that you are online, wherever that may be. But thanks for hanging out with us today. Um, Halloween was last night. You just saw those incredible pumpkins that kids slash parents probably did. But um, just pretty amazing, right? Now, if you have kids and you went out for Halloween last uh, evening, it was weird. Very strange. And if you usually have candy at your home, that was also strange. We drove around and it was just weird to see so few people uh, all over the place. But of course, we are in the midst of a pandemic. So that, that makes sense. <clears throat> but this whole year has been weird, right? In fact, this week, something really big is happening. I mean, something huge, uh, something incredible, uh, amazing. There's an asteroid heading our direction tomorrow. Did you know that? It is heading our way. I'm not making this up one bit. Um, now, now, granted, for those of you who are like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know about this. What's getting ready to happen? It's small. Chances of it hitting the, the, the globe is like 0.041%. If it does hit, it's supposed to disintegrate. But it's just been one of those years, right? And plus, there is an election that's happened in a couple of days. Uh, we're going to talk more about that this morning, but if you're into politics at all, maybe over the past few months you watched the debates, uh, or the one thing that was like a town hall, but I think it was more of uh, Nielsen ratings to see who could get the highest Nielsen ratings, but uh, maybe you, you call a, bit about, a little bit of that. I didn't watch any of it, I think like 30 seconds, because I was doing a social experiment. I, I wanted to see, if I went to bed and I didn't watch any of this, the next morning when I woke up, who all would say which candidate had won? Because there had to be a winner, right? And so I woke up the next morning, I got on social media, and it was crazy. It was a tie. It was a tie. It was crazy to me that you have this competition kind of going on, but there seemed to be this tie. And so I said, something can't be right here. So I went a little bit deeper into my research and, and looked at the people who had posted that their candidate had won. And I looked back at their past posts, and I was disappointed. Because, of course, whoever they said won the debate was the person that they were going to vote for anyway. Now, I totally was ready for that. I knew that was going to happen. The point being, um, we, we can't be objective, right? No matter what. Um, and is there any wonder that we find so much tension in political cycles like we're in right now? Is it any wonder we see so much division between people? friends, family, whoever it may be. And that's the place that we find ourselves right now in specifically in America. And so that's why we've been doing this series, The Separation of Church and Hate. And there's this question that we've been asking every single week. Can I put my faith filter ahead of my political filter? Because too many times we put our political filter ahead of our faith filter. And so we've talked about what does it look like for me to be civil? What does it look like for me to show dignity to people I disagree with? And this week, we're going we're gonna to talk about humility. We're going to talk about humility. Because if you're a follower of Jesus, there is this tension that you and I face. And it's something we face all the time. It's not something that just kind of comes and goes. It's always here. This tension is between the kingdom of earth and the kingdom of heaven. Scripture tells us that the earth, if we're a follower of Christ, that this place is not our home, that, that we're, we're just passing through here, that, that our home isn't here, but our, our home is in heaven. And so we're, we're called in this tension between this 
kingdom of earth that we live in right now and this kingdom of heaven that we're trying to get to. There's an incredible example of this in um, a conversation Jesus ends up happening with his followers, with his disciples. And uh, there's some tension here. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 20 today. And we're going to be spending our, our time there. But Matthew 20, starting with verse 20, here's what it says. It says, The mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus. Her, her sons came with her. Getting on her knees, she asked a favor of him. What do you want? Jesus asked. She said, Promise me that one of my two sons may sit at your right hand in your kingdom. Promise that the other one may sit at your left hand. Um, I've coached my kids' sports teams uh, for like 10, 11 years now, from sports I love like baseball to sports I don't really care a whole lot about like soccer to sports I know nothing about like volleyball. And, uh, and I do that for a couple of reasons. One, it gives me more time to spend with my kids. I get to hang out with them outside of, you know, just kind of the normal setting. And the other thing is it gets me out of the church community, right? It allows me to be in the, the, the community at large and spend time with families I normally wouldn't get a chance to interact with. So I enjoy doing that. This year was the first year in all the years I've coached where, uh, coaching baseball this year, I, I actually received emails from parents. And the emails kind of went like this. They said, hey, my kids never played outfield before ever, right? I mean, for some reason, you know, they've always played shortstop. They've always been a pitcher. But, but for some reason, you keep putting them in the outfield. I mean, my, my kids, are, kids are a really good ball player. Why aren't you playing them at these main key positions? And my first thought is, Whose kid are you talking about? Because that's not your kid, right? That's not the kid I see at practice. That's not the kid I, I see at ball games. And yet this is what you think I should do. You think I should put your kid in that place. Now, I don't respond in the moment because I get pretty upset when I get those kind of emails because they just don't make any sense to me. And I like my job. And so I don't want that to get out that I sent horrible emails to people. But, but parents, think about that for a second. Uh, and some of you that have coached kids before, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We think our kids are special, right? we think they're always better than the other kids around them. And so we're like, hey, show them a little bit extra treatment. Show them some preferential treatment because, because they're pretty good. And yet as a coach, I'm like, they're really not. And I don't want them to get hurt. And that's the reason I play them where I play them. Here is this mom who shows up with her kids and she says, hey, I'm kind of one of those sports parents, Jesus. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to put them in the best positions. I want you to put them at shortstop. I want you to put them in the pitcher's position. I want you to put them in these places where they can kind of shine because I truly see something different in them than you do. This is a strange question, right? We look at this and we're like, why would you ask Jesus a question like this? Well, remember, Jesus' followers at that time, they think he's going to be a political messiah, a political king. They think Jesus is coming in to bring in this rebel army and he's going to build this insurrection and they're going to go up against the Roman occupation and, and they're going to take back the Holy Land. They're going to take back their holy city. And, and so here's this mom that says, you know, Jesus, you're going to be president. So one of my kids, I want to be the vice president. And the other kid, I want to be the secretary of state. Here's the problem. That wasn't why Jesus came. He, he wasn't on earth to be a political king he was here to be a spiritual king. I read this story here. We're going to get more into it in just a second. But I wonder why is it that we are so enamored with political power? Why is it that we put so much effort toward a party, a person, or a platform? 
Now, I get it. There's certain issues that are important to us and stances that we feel pretty strongly about. And I think as followers of Jesus, there's some things that are important out there we've got to be focused on. But, but why are we so enamored with this kind of political power? Well, the reason is pretty simple. We have this deeper desire for the power of the sword. Now, now what is the sword? I mean, well, this is a metaphor, and it's not sharp, by the way. But um, this is a metaphor for political power, right? That if we rule in the government, then we need the sword. And, and the sword are things like rules and laws and regulations and, and the court system and, and law enforcement. Uh, for example, um, let, let's say you're going to the beach and you're driving down 95 South. It's taking you three and a half hours to get to Fredericksburg from here, but finally you're past that. And then you can hit your gas, right? Then you can actually speed. So you're going like 85, 90 miles an hour because you're trying to catch up. You see a state trooper in the median. What's your first response? Is it to hit the gas and go faster? No. You, you hit the brakes. You slow down. And the reason is pretty simple. You understand the swords at play. You understand that if you do not obey the law, that there's the sword, there's punishment that can come your way. For too many of us, we want power of the sword. And another way I would say this is that we want power over people. We want the kind of power that, that James and John and this mom is asking for here. And so that's what they're asking, she's asking for. Give my kids power. Let, let, them, let them control the sword. And here was Jesus' response in verse 22. He says, you don't know what you're asking for. Can you drink the cup of suffering I am going to drink? We can, they answered. I see that. And um, James and John actually give a political answer, don't they? Like, there's no hesitation. Hey, can you do this? Yep, we got it. We can do this. We don't know what it is, but we'll, we'll take care of it. We, we can do this, even though they don't know what it is. Every time I read that and I see the response, my first thought is, I think this is all a setup. That, that this is something that this family has been working on and planning, that they've wanted to ask this question because they still think Jesus is going to be this political king. And so they've kind of practiced this answer. And when he says, here's what I'm looking for, do you think you can do this? They're like, yep, we can do it. Verse 23, Jesus said to them, you will certainly drink my cup. But it's not for me to say who will sit at my right or left hand. These places belong to those my father has prepared them for. So, so here's Jesus who says, you know what, you're right. You will follow me, but not how you think. Give me a little bit of insight to James and John. Maybe you already know this. Um, both of these guys are some of the first disciples that Jesus chooses um, they are a part of his inner circle with a guy named Peter. So they're close friends of Jesus. But uh, John ends up being the first disciple who is martyred. He is actually beheaded by King Herod. And guess how he's beheaded? By a sword. Now James doesn't, isn't someone who is martyred. James ends up actually living a pretty long life uh, based on those days. But he had a rough life. His faith was tested over and over and over again. But if you look at their lives, they never got the political positions that they wanted or they, that they so desired. But what they did end up doing, they ended up serving Jesus in other ways. And so Jesus tells them or challenges them here in this response to them, like, hey, something's coming, but not what you think. Look at verse 24. It says, the other 10 disciples heard about this. They became angry at the two brothers. 
So this conversation that happens with Jesus actually gets back to the other 10 disciples. And they're not like, yeah, that sounds great. Why don't you put those two guys in power? They're upset. They're angry. But why? I mean, why would you be mad about this? I'm guessing, and I'm just kind of reading between the lines here. They wanted to ask the exact same question to Jesus. Okay? Because, again, they think Jesus is here to be this political king. They don't understand fully that he's a spiritual king. And they think that if Jesus is in control, we get the power of the sword. We can control what's happening around us. We can have this newfound freedom. And so I think there's this tension there because they wanted to ask the exact same question of Jesus. Look at verse 25. It says, Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. So here's Jesus, and he calls a meeting of his disciples to kind of talk through this particular issue. And what he goes back to is what I talked about earlier, this tension that's there between the kingdom of earth and the kingdom of heaven. He says, you guys, you're thinking, you're thinking about the kingdom of earth. You think that the sword is, is the most important thing, that, that ruling in the government and in politics and policies, you think the sword, the, the power over people is, is what's going to bring you this freedom you're looking for. But this is what they're looking for because they've been oppressed. Their whole life, they have been oppressed by the Roman government, which was fully the power of the sword. And by the religious leaders, which, by the way, was the power of the sword plus religion. And so they're looking for a way to get beyond this oppression. How, how do we find this freedom? And so in their minds, if we have the power of the sword, then we can finally have this, this freedom that we have been looking for. If we can control that one thing. But Jesus says this to him in verse 26. Don't be like that. Instead, anyone who wants to be important among you must be your servant. And anyone who wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus comes back here and says, I, I know this is what you want. You, you want the, the power of the sword. But, but let me tell you what you actually need. What you actually need is the power not over people, but power under people. And, and that means you, you make yourself a slave. You make yourself a servant to those around you. That, as he says here, I, I didn't come here to be served, but to serve. And, and as a follower of Jesus, as a follower of mine, that's your goal too, is not to, to, to be served, but, but to serve. If power over people, and the symbol of that is the sword, then power under people a symbol of that is the cross. See, the politics of Jesus is not a sword. The politics of Jesus is a cross, which means there's this ultimate humility that we have if we follow Jesus, that we are, we're called to live like Jesus, to serve others, not to be served. It's, it's never about power over, over people. It's always about power under people. It's never about the sword. It's always about the cross. And if you look at the message of Jesus, that's his message in every teaching he has. 
He, he says your first thing is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That, that's your first thing on your agenda, the first thing you're supposed to do. And the second thing is you're, you're to love other people more than you love yourself, to, to put people ahead of you. That is why you exist. That is why you are here, to sacrifice for others, to serve them. And so humility doesn't mean that we have this power of the sword. It means we understand the power of the cross. And humility means we serve others by putting ourselves under other people. But that, again, that's the tension that we face. That, that's the tension for followers of Jesus. The kingdom of God versus the kingdom of the earth. Um, the, the, the cross versus the sword. Power under people versus power over people. This is the, the struggle that we have, and that's tension that is always there for us. And guess what? Every four years, that tension ratchets up every single time. And we come back to this place where like, well, there's, there's the kingdom of earth and, and I'm here now and then there's the kingdom of heaven. And then I, I want to try to bring these, these things to, together. I want the power of the sword. And I want the power of the cross. But, but do you realize we can't wield both? For one, history shows we're not good at it at all. Let me give a little history lesson this morning. Some of you are probably very familiar with these things. But in 312 A.D., we had the eve of the Battle of the Milvian Bridge. It's a crucial fight for the rule of the Western Empire. And uh, Constantine is one of these people who's, who's fighting, one of the leaders who's fighting for the rule of the Western Empire. The night before this battle happens, he has this dream, he has this vision and in this dream or vision, he has this symbol that comes to mind. I think we have that. We're going to put that up on the screens. This is called the Cairo, and it's actually the first two letters in the name of, of Christ. And so he says, in this vision, this is what I've seen. We're supposed to put this on our banners. And, and he hears this voice, and this voice tells him, in this sign, thou shall conquer. And so he tells his soldiers, I want you to paint this image on your banners, and, and I want you to go into battle, and we're going to see what happens now. They were outmanned. The other group had a, a bigger army, a bigger military. And yet in the end, Constantine led his soldiers to victory. And he took over as ruler of the western part of the Roman Empire. In 313 AD, he had the Edict of Milan. And there, Constantine ends all really uh, religious persecution, but mostly focused on Christianity. And Christianity kind of benefits from this more than any of the other faith, faiths. In 324 A.D., Constantine defeats Licinius and took over all of the Roman Empire. And it really began to push the cause of Christianity throughout the empire. And then in 380 A.D., you had the Edict of Thessalonica, where Christianity becomes the official Roman, the Roman religion. Now, I want you to think about those dates for, for just a second. In less than 400 years... Christianity, which at the time was kind of known as this fledgling mystery cult, became almost as strong as the Roman Empire. Now, now think about that. Justo Gonzalez in his textbook, The Story of Christianity, here's what he wrote. He wrote this. Whatever the case may be, there is no doubt that the conversion of Constantine had enormous consequences for Christianity, which was forced to face new questions. What would happen when those who called themselves servants of a carpenter and whose great heroes were fisher folk, slaves and criminals condemned to death by the state suddenly saw themselves surrounded by imperial pomp and power? Would they remain firm in their faith? Or, or would it be that those who had stood before tortures and before beasts would give way to the temptation of an easy life and of social prestige? 
Christianity at this point has, has everything you could want. It has the power of the sword. It has the power of the cross. The opportunity is there to show what civility looks like and dignity and, and humility. And so how would the church respond? Let's go back to our history lesson here. 385 AD, Bishop Priscillian is executed for being a heretic. It was executed by a Christian uh, slash secular government. This is five years, five short years after the mixing of faith and, and politics, we see executions begin. In the 11th century, if we fast forward, we find the Crusades between the Christians and Muslims. In the 12th century, we have the Inquisitions in France. And if we look more recently in our timeline, we have the killing of native Indians here in this land in the name of religion and politics. Uh, we have the imprisonment and, and the importing of slaves from Africa, again, in the name of religion and politics. Here's the deal. We say we can handle this, right? We say as followers of Jesus, we can carry the sword. We can carry the cross together. But our history shows we don't have the ability to do that. History says that our pride takes over, our arrogance takes over, our humanness comes out. And we don't end up leading with the cross, we end up still leading with the sword. And then here's what we do. We take the cross and we kind of drag it behind us. And then when the time's right or when we feel like we need it for some purpose, we pop it up and prop it in front of everybody. Like, hey, look at this. You know, we're followers of Jesus. And then when we're done with that, we pull it back. We put it behind us and we pull out the sword again. I'm not sure we have the ability to handle both. And yet we keep trying over and over again. Cal Thomas and Ed Dotson helped start the Moral Majority, if you remember that, back in 1980. They wrote a book called Blinded by Might. Here's what they wrote. We affirm the right and responsibility of every person, religious or not, to participate in the political process. But we warn that when the clergy and other institutions of the church do so, they run the risk of being compromised and their central message obscured as they are often seduced by the siren song of temporal political power. It is never the state that is threatened as liberal clergy and secularists have claimed. It is always the church that suffers because the kingdom of no compromise that the church is supposed to represent becomes involved in a political kingdom that is all about compromise and almost always is seduced by the world and follows its appeals and agendas rather than leading the world to the only agenda that can change a life, Jesus Christ. When we put power over people, our ego takes over. Our arrogance shows up. Our, our humanness begins to, to be in front of everything we do. And we take humility and we kind of throw it out the door. We take dignity and we don't really think about it. We, we forget what it looks like to be civil because we're trying to control both the sword and the cross. And every time we do that, we lose sight of Jesus. We lose focus on, on Jesus and who Jesus is. We become more about the kingdom of earth than we do about the kingdom of heaven. Again, this was Jesus' struggle. Who did he struggle with? He didn't really struggle with the Romans, and they had all the power. They had the power of the sword. He struggled with the religious leaders. And who were the religious leaders? Well, in their culture, and we've talked about this before, when you were Jewish, everything was connected, right? There wasn't like the political and faith piece were separate. They were, they were connected. And so here's this group that had the faith and political filters together. And these were the people he struggled with. Why? They're, they're trying to serve God and, and serve man at the same time. I mean, when I say serve man, I mean serve themselves. 
And no matter how hard we may try, the sword always wins. And we forget about this idea, this characteristic of being humble toward others. Well, how do we change this? How can we step away from this power over people? How can we move beyond the, the power of, of the sword and, and live a life like Jesus taught us to live? How can we put our, our faith filter ahead of our, our political filter? How do we show humility? Well, um, I'm going to leave you with a, a few questions or thoughts this morning that I think can help us move in the direction that we need to go. Um, I think there are applications here, but it's mostly a question that you and I have to answer because here's the deal. In four more years, we're going to be right back here again, okay? And in four more years, we're going to be back at this place again because the sword, it's temporary. It changes hands over and over again, but the cross is eternal. And so if we say we follow Jesus, we have got to begin at this place. And, and that's really where I want to start here. There's a question that you and I have to answer. Here's that question. Are you going to choose the sword or the cross? You and I, we have to choose one. Are we going to choose the sword, power over people? Are we going to choose the cross, which is power under people? Or are we going to choose, are we going to choose the kingdom of earth? Or are we going to choose the kingdom of, of heaven? Because that's the question you and I have to wrestle with. That's the tension as a follower of Jesus we have to struggle with. Which one will it be? Well, if you answered or if you choose the sword, here's what happens. When we choose the sword, it limits our relationships. It lessens our ability to influence others to take their next steps with Jesus. Because here's what research shows us. Research shows we tend to live around people who believe what we believe. We tend to have friendships with people who vote like we vote. As I was working on this message, I came across this research from the election in 2016. <clears throat> there are over 3,100 counties in the United States. And out of those 3,100 plus counties, only 303 of those counties had single-digit margins for the presidential election in 16. Now think about that. Only 303 out of over 3,100 counties. What does that mean? It means we tend to live around people who are just like us. We tend to live in homogeneous communities. We vote the same. We think the same. We believe the same. And so we, we don't really spread our wings. We, we don't get out beyond that. And we wonder why our candidate doesn't win because we look around us and everybody's voting the same way we vote. It kind of goes back to the last two weeks. If we stay stuck where we are, if we stay stuck in the communities we're in, if we don't go beyond, and I'll be honest, if we don't go beyond the walls of like our church, um, we lose the power to influence others for Jesus. And that's why we exist. That's why we decided to be followers of Christ. It wasn't so we could wield the sword. It's so we could have opportunities to influence more people for Jesus, not alienate people from Jesus. But if we choose the sword, that's the direction that we will go. What happens if we choose the cross? If we choose the cross, then our main focus is Jesus. If we choose the cross, it's always power under people. If we choose the cross, that means we're doing everything we can to serve other people, that we're not here to be served. And, and many times when we look at the sword, that is to serve us. No, we're here to serve others. 
We're here to take care of others. I think I talked about this a little bit last week. If you um, look back in Jesus' day, children, babies that were unwanted were stuck outside the city gates to die. The poor were just left to starve. Uh, if, we, if we look at pandemics so over the course of the last few thousand years, especially if we go back about 100 years, I think to 1919, um, again, medical attention was not there for those who needed it. Do you know, do you realize who jumped in in every one of those instances to help, who, to help take care of those children and bring them into their homes, to, to feed those that were hungry and poor, to, to help and give medical attention to those in the pandemics? It's been Christians. Christians have been leading the way forever. Why? Because we understand we're supposed to be here to serve others. It's not about being served. It's about serving others. It's about focusing on the way of Jesus. And so our Savior is not a candidate. Our beliefs are not from a platform. Our hope is not in a party. That's what Jesus takes care of. Now, I know at the journey we have some that are political appointees. Uh, we have political leaders. Uh, we, I know that many work for political organizations. And you may hear this today and think I'm saying, get out. You shouldn't be in that position. You shouldn't be in that role. And I'm not saying that. Some of you may be listening and thinking, well, you're saying we shouldn't be political activists. We, we shouldn't fight for political causes we believe in. I'm not saying that at all either. I truly believe this means we put our faith filter on. And that no matter what, we still put that ahead of our political filter. Because I can promise you, we need strong followers of Jesus in political organizations, in political parties. We need strong followers of Jesus running for political office. We need that. That's so important. My point, though, is, is the sword more important to us than the cross? Because if we follow Jesus, the cross should always be ahead of the sword. And we show that through our humility by serving others. Paul writes some pretty incredible words in Philippians 2, 3. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. That means whatever my hopes, desires, wants are, I, I'm supposed to put those to the side and, and the focus should be on the other person. My, my focus should be on you. Your focus should be on those around you. And, and we should focus on the, the needs and desires and, and the hopes of, of others. That, that we're not here again to be served, but, but to serve. Because again, the realization is this kingdom of earth, it's going to be gone at some point. It, it's going to move on. Again, the sword's going to change hands. But the power of the cross, the power of Jesus, and who Jesus is, the kingdom of heaven, it's for eternity. And how do we make that happen? It's because we take Paul's words and make them a part of who we are. We, we take the life of Jesus and we live these humble lives where we serve, we serve others first, especially when we disagree with them. Paul also writes this in Colossians 1.27. He says, Christ in you, is in you. He is your hope of glory. So when you disagree with somebody politically, guess what? If you're a follower of Jesus, Christ is in you. That should be first for you. If you disagree with someone because the person they want to vote for is different than who you want to vote for, guess what? If you're a follower of Jesus, Christ is in you. That should be the thing that you focus on. On Tuesday or next week, next month, next year, whenever it all ends up, um, your person may win, okay? And you may be excited and happy, but here's the deal. If you're a follower of Jesus, hey, it's just a moment. You can be happy about it. 
You can celebrate. But if Christ lives in you, how you respond and how you act and the humbleness you show will say a lot to other people. If your candidate loses on Tuesday and um, your response is so important, uh, your response to what takes place, the humility that you show, and, and maybe you fully disagree with it, you have strong feelings about this. Hey, guess what? Are you about the power of the sword or the power of the cross? Humility means the cross is more important to us. The cross is what we focus on. And that means that Christ is in us. But we get to choose. Power of the cross, power of the sword. Power under people, power over people. What's more important to us? Because in the end, there's power in the choice that we make. And we're either saying this is all about me or this is all about us. This week, if you haven't done so already, vote. Vote your conscience, vote your beliefs, vote your opinions, vote your candidate, go for it. I mean, this is incredible. We get the opportunity to do this. But if you follow Jesus, please understand the cross is always before the sword. And no matter how much we think we can put those two together and, and they'll work great together, they, they don't because our humanness gets in the way. The kingdom of earth becomes more important than the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of earth, the cross, we know at some point it's going to end. It might be by an asteroid. Who knows? But we know the kingdom of heaven is for eternity. And I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty good to me. As we go into this next couple of days, can you put your faith filter ahead of your political filter? Can you be civil? Can you show others dignity? And can we be humble? Let's pray. God, thank you for... Um, this time that we have together today. And I think the opportunity to talk about some, some difficult things because um, we have opinions, we have beliefs, we have views, and we are not afraid to share them. And definitely many times we don't share them in the right way because we've forgotten how to be humble. Uh, God, I, I pray that, um, I pray for our leaders. I, I pray for uh, our president. I pray for the cabinet. I, I pray for challengers um, that, that are out there. I pray for them and the people around them. Um, I know, God, this is weird because we all have sides. <laughs> and when I think about that, it means our hope is in this earth. Our hope is in a sword. And God, we're lost at that point. I pray that even if just a few of us can find our true hope in Jesus, that no matter what takes place this week, even though we may be excited because of a celebration or we may be disappointed because of a loss, whatever it may be, God, that, that we still understand the power is in the cross and it's all about the kingdom of heaven. It's not about me. So God, we leave that in your hands to lead us and guide us. Let your spirit work in us. We pray for you to move in us in incredible ways. In Jesus' name, amen.